right, I want to tell you a story to start off about friends of mine. When they got married 30 years ago, they discovered that they had a problem. They wanted to share the burden of the household chores without constantly negotiating with each other, but the wife discovered that she was far less tolerant of mess than her husband was. So she ended up doing more housework than him, which we know is not okay, right? So she quietly decided to figure out if there was anything that he would do or want to attend to before she did. So she held off cleaning the bathroom. But sooner or later, she realised, I'm going to have to clean this toilet. And so she did it herself. Then she let the laundry pile up. And next, the dishes. She didn't know what she could do, but finally she decided to stop buying food and preparing meals. And when finally the fridge was bare, her husband got up and shopped for the week ahead came home and made dinner for them. And from that day on, and through 30 years and four children, and now an empty nest and grandchildren visiting, this man has shopped and cooked and fed his family. Now, I don't recommend that you experiment on your loved ones like this. I'm telling this story because we all need to eat. No matter what you think you might be able to put off, for a few days or until next week or next month even, you cannot put off eating. And to really thrive, we need to eat every day. Most of us in our culture are used to eating three times a day and even snacks in between. Sometimes we like to say that food is fuel. So why in Matthew chapter four, that first reading at Thea read us, does Jesus, after 40 days in the desert, refuse to feed himself? Why does Jesus say to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God? On the one hand, he's making a really simple point. It's actually the counterpoint to what Peter shared with us last week, that quote from James K.A. Smith, who said, we are more than heads on sticks. Well, yes, we are created as physical beings, but also we are more than just stomachs for food. To use the language of the Bible, we are also hearts and minds and souls. Jesus won't feed his stomach, it turns out, if it means worshipping anyone but the one true God. But Jesus is also quoting Moses here from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. He's remembering when Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years after they were rescued by God from being slaves in Egypt. Once they were in the desert, they had no way of feeding themselves. But every morning for 40 years, they woke up to discover miraculous food that God had provided them, a flaky substance that would cover the ground called manna. They called it manna and that literally means what is this stuff? They didn't know how it got there. They hadn't made it. God had rained it down for them and provided for them. And God instructed them to collect just enough for each day. No more, no less. This was a trust exercise. And they experienced the generous and faithful love of God each and every day for 40 years as they ate straight from his hand. 
in the desert, the Israelites also came to know God and who he was through his law. He gave them the Ten Commandments, you might remember, and the law at Mount Sinai, which taught them how to live as God's people. And when the 40 years was over and they were able to enter the land where the soil was good and they'd be able to grow their food and find water, Moses asked them to remember the manna so that they would not forget to read and practice the law. We shall not live by bread alone, he said to them, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that embodied experience and memory of God's grace in feeding them the manna was supposed to help Israel continue to listen and obey God's word in a land of plenty and to keep passing on his word through the generations. Food for the body and the word of God work together. They are the life-giving gifts of God to his people. And he's interested in nourishing not just our stomachs, but our hearts and minds as well. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, what we discover is that Israel did forget the manna. Time and time again, they fell into delusions of self-reliance and they neglected the word of God. But Jesus in the desert, without anything to sustain his physical body for 40 days, remembered it. And he proved to be the one true obedient Israelite wholly determined to be reliant on his heavenly father for everything. And so today we continue in our simple spirituality series, paying attention to some of the patterns that we might have around food and mealtimes and connecting them with God's word so that we don't forget that all our nourishment comes from God. And there are two ways that I want us to think about this. The first way is to cultivate thanksgiving for God's gifts. If you don't already do this, I encourage you to say grace whenever you sit to eat a meal. That is, pause and give thanks to God. Jesus did this all through the Gospels. We saw it in those other two readings where he broke bread and gave thanks. If you have children, teach your children to do this as well. When we give pause and are grateful every time we eat, we maintain a humble posture of worship towards God and a right view of our dependence on him for everything that we have. And the other way you can cultivate this thanksgiving is by eating mindfully. And I don't just mean in the sense of um, eating slowly and appreciating the taste of food. That's a really good thing to do as well because it helps us to see how God has given us so many different kinds of flavors that we can enjoy. But I mean mindful eating in the sense of thinking about where your food comes from. The Israelites forgot that God was providing food for them from the earth and they were actually farming it. We are so disconnected from the chain of supply for our food, aren't we? We walk into supermarkets or we get online and we order prepackaged salad and already cooked chicken for dinner. There's so much injustice in those supply chains of our food and we're so often blind to them. It's easy to forget where our food has come from. Now this point could be a whole sermon and I'm not the one to give it, I don't think, but I can suggest a couple of things about making better choices around food. First of all, take time to think about where your food comes from. When you choose your food, think was the earth used sustainably so that others might eat 
in future generations? Were the animals who gave their life or gave their produce treated well? Were people paid a decent living, a decent living wage, and did they work in conditions that were life-giving for them and not just for our pleasure? Sorry, I think I just have to do something here. Okay. You might like to try some of your own veggies and herbs to appreciate and wonder at how God keeps the earth sustaining us through the regeneration of tiny seeds through generation and generation. And you might like to find a local farm-like series where you can support local growers and producers of food. I'm sure that many of you have lots of ideas that you can share with us too about this. Now the second way that I want us um, to think about the habits around our food and mealtimes is to take some measures to integrate the nourishment of your body and your soul. Connect the food and the word. I encourage you at one of your daily meals to make a habit of opening your Bible and reading it. I think this is probably best done first thing in the morning, before breakfast when your stomach is growling at you. Let it remind you that you need not just food but God's word to nourish you and your whole being each and every day. Read it at the table where you will eat. And if you have kids, read it with them so they can read it to their kids. When our kids were growing up, uh, we started this habit of reading the Bible with our kids at breakfast. And I can tell you that some days it was hard work to get people there and paying attention. And I'm not just talking about the kids either. It was hard, but it was a good habit, and we did it for years and years. Along with our daily wheat bix, God's word was growing us little by little. Body and soul, he formed us into people who knew him well and recognised his gracious provision. Now, to form your own daily Bible reading practice, you don't need anything fancy, but there are some tools out there to help you if you wish. There are audio versions of the Bible. Lots of us love to listen to David Sachet read the Bible. He also reads the Jesus Storybook Bible. There are apps like Lectio 365 and Praise You Go, which are in the contemplative tradition. They help you to reflect and chew on the scripture. I write weekly devotions for our church and you can subscribe to them through the weekly email and I take what I call a leftovers approach. That is, I see as we come together on Sunday that we feast on God's word and for the rest of the week we kind of enjoy the leftovers with a little bit more uh, of that condiment or side dish, some music, some prayers, some extra passages to help us really enjoy the nourishment that God is giving us. If you're new to faith, or you haven't done much Bible reading before, I want to encourage you to read a chapter of Matthew's Gospel every day until it's finished. Get to know Jesus well. And if you're even just wondering if Christianity is for you, I encourage you to give this a go. Allow yourself to experience the love of God for your whole person. We don't want to make Christian faith just about having right ideas. Well, like any new habit, these things might feel weird and unnatural for a while. But keep going. And don't expect to experience daily Bible reading to be like eating your favourite uh, weekend brunch at the cafe. Sometimes it will taste 
like honey, sweet, the Psalms say, exquisite. But sometimes you might actually find it a bit bitter and unpalatable. And most often it will be like your wheat bix or your Vegemite toast. Quite ordinary, maybe sometimes a bit bland, and, but very familiar. Now, I could end the sermon here and tell you to go and cultivate these practices, but I know that that would just lead us to all feeling either paralysed as we realise how problematic our food chains are and what needs to change, or guilty when you forget to read your Bible one morning. And the good news is that the true nourishment of God that he offers us is so much more than us doing these right things. It's so much more than us living our best life now. The good news of the gospel is that the food and word are not just fuel. God's vision, his desire is to gather up his people to a table of feasting. That passage that Anthea read earlier in the service from Isaiah 55 captures it beautifully. Come and eat you who have nothing, God says to us. Come and drink and eat. In the kingdom of God, food is abundance. It's about drawing people together in community. And it's about receiving God's grace. We come with empty hands and he fills them. We come hungry and he gives us something to eat. Now, I don't want to tease you too much with that story Anthea read about the story of a picnic for thousands when we're only allowed to meet with four people at the moment, but that story really perfectly reveals this abundance and community and grace that God wants to provide for us. In verse 15, as the evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, this is a remote place, a desert place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves food. They're trying to be practical after a long, hard day working with Jesus and the crowds. Everybody's hungry and they need to feed their bodies and they have nothing, just five loaves and two fish. But Jesus says to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, it occurs to me that at this point, Jesus sounds like my mum, who hates for anyone to leave her house with an empty stomach. When you go to my mum and dad's house, there is always enough food to go round when my mum is the host. And so it is with Jesus. He performs this extraordinary miracle, revealing his hand to be the same as the one God who miraculously fed the ancestors in the desert. But can you see in this story that what Jesus does is totally unnecessary? These people could have gone home for dinner, but instead Jesus wraps up the day by hosting this massive community meal and wildly over catering it too. There were 12 baskets left over. What must the disciples have thought Jesus gets them to distribute the food. He said they had nothing, but then because of him, they have plenty to feed all those hungry people. What would that have been like? Can you imagine the joy, the connection, the wonder at feasting on this food together like their ancestors had done in the days of the Exodus? I can see them 
shaking their heads in amazement and laughing with Jesus about it. You give them something to eat. Jesus invites his disciples into his work and mission, and it's a beautiful thing. In our church vision statement, we say this to one another. I'm going to say it to you. Imagine a church that nourished spiritual seekers. Can you imagine that now? What would it be like? How could we serve people who are thirsty and hungry for God? It has to be holistic, this mission, doesn't it? It has to be generous and gracious. Unless we understand God's intention to nourish the whole person, we'll only ever get it half right. Well, as we do the quiet work of recognising and seeking daily nourishment from God in those small ways I described earlier in these lockdown days, cultivating thanksgiving and integration of word and food, let's understand too that we are preparing to share God's grace and abundance with others, with those spiritual seekers who sense their tummies are rumbling in lockdown. Communicating the message of the gospel is not just done in words, it's enacted in the generous sharing of abundance, both physical and spiritual. And we are limited in how we can do this at the moment, but. Um, the Barnabas project that Jenny um, is inviting us to do, it was in the email, and she'll tell us a bit more about it, is a really great way to join this kind of holistic mission at the moment. And I've been loving the opportunity, and I know Patrick and Peter have as well, to discuss and dream about what will happen when we plant a church in Fairfield and revitalise our Gold Street congregation. We can do some great reflecting and planning now. And I would not be surprised if we discover that many people are seeking spiritual nourishment in our wider community in the coming year. And perhaps we can offer it more boldly and with a richer personal experience of God's nourishment for us. We need to pray that God will transform us from being mere consumers in the world to being people of his same grace and abundance towards others. Well, it's a beautiful ideal. It's exciting, but a daunting prospect. How can we do this? How will we become people who love others this much? Well, I'm sure you know this saying, <laughs> we are what we eat. And at the Last Supper, Jesus moves beyond being simply the perfectly obedient Israelite and even beyond being the one who provides that abundant meal for the crowd. He becomes the actual stuff that we are to take and eat. In verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus brings food for the body and the soul so closely together here that it's actually shocking. We, we should really be um, woken up when he says this and surprised. He's saying that he will die in order to sustain our lives, both now and into eternity. 
Jesus' death on the cross brings us forgiveness. It brings us peace with God. Eat and drink me, he's saying. Well, many words have been spoken and written to try and explain how Jesus' death and resurrection work, how it allows us to enter into this feast that God is preparing, even though we have nothing to bring. But Jesus helps us understand it by giving us an action to do, one that is so vivid that we will never forget it. It goes beyond words. And if we want to be on mission with Jesus, our own lives are to be transformed and integrated in every part by him and through him. His death on the cross for us is to be our lifeblood. This is utterly profound and wonderful. Well, do you feel like the church is vitamin deficient at the moment? I do a little bit. It's been so long since we could be together and break bread. So long since we celebrated the Lord's Supper or communion together. But as we wait, perhaps as we practice gratitude and reading the Bible as we eat our toast, from time to time we might pray just like this. Jesus, you are my everything. Your body is my bread and your blood is my cup. I'm utterly dependent on you. Preserve me and your church through this time apart. Help us to receive the grace you have in store for us today. Amen.